Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember to go check out the website, dormroomhistory.com, and of course, the shortcut to this show is dormroomhistory.com slash the history of China. Maps, pictures, and the links to this episode on all platforms are all there. And comment boxes too, my contact info, and of course, the donate page. Now, to those of you that have already donated, I, well, cannot thank you enough. I really can't believe what this show has become and how many people listen to it, and all I want to do is talk about Chinese history. So thank you. Now, be sure to follow the show if you have not already, and to give it five stars. Look, it's like a cart axle regulation. It may not seem like anything to you, but it means so much to me. But last week... We, uh, we had one of the most interesting people to enter our story. Violent beyond belief? Yes. Petty? Yes. Murderous and cruel? Yes and yes and yes. Empress Lu went from Empress to Empress Dowager to Grand Empress Dowager in her life as she in turn oversaw the Han Dynasty from its inception through its next two to three emperors, well, depending on who you count. She has been by far one of, if not the most, influential people of the Han Dynasty to date. Was it for the better, though? Well, I mean, probably not. But now comes her brother-in-law, Emperor Wen, and he is going to get the dynasty going again under a strong and long reign. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 28, Emperor Wen. Stability is a tricky thing. Figures like King Louis XVI, Emperor Hui, and maybe his sons, or maybe they weren't really, Qian Shao and Hou Shao, were not bad rulers. They were not tyrannical monsters by any means. Had these rulers popped up in a peaceful and uneventful time, we would probably just gloss over them as, well, decent, nice, but pretty forgetful rulers. However, when these generally mediocre rulers show up in times of instability, they are like kerosene on a fire. They simply cannot handle the load that is put on them. We know well enough by now that the Han Dynasty had many strong facets, but they were definitely not off to the best start, and I know, I keep saying it. The Xiongnu and raiding barbarians were already a problem. You already have rebelling kings too, and now you have domestic policy issues, and yeah, you now have dynastic rule issues. Were the Han on the brink of collapse when Emperor Wen stepped into power? No. A collapse was not like imminent. However, had he not shown up and done what he did, and had stability thus not been brought to the Han Dynasty, the problems that were seemingly compounding by the year would eventually become terminal. Yes. He was the stopgap that protected any more issues. So, who is Emperor Wen? 
Born in 203 BC, Emperor Wen was originally named Liu Hung. His father was none other than Emperor Gao himself. But his mother, well, was not the empress. His mother was just a favored concubine. Remember, in ancient China, this was totally normal. We have to rid ourselves of the European notion of the bastard child in that sense. Monogamy was just not really a thing, for the powerful men in China, that is. And so as we know, future Emperor Wen, still Liu Hung at this time, was passed over for the role of emperor because he was not the son of the empress. Sons of the emperor, by virtue of concubine mothers, were not ashamed children who were just cast out and hidden like you would see in a European history. Because as we know, they were often given posts and trained and were made helpful members of the dynasty. They were, after all, the emperor's sons. So in 196 BC, Emperor Gao put down the Chenxi Rebellion in the northern Dai region of the realm. It's near the northern border where the Xiongnu are. After doing so, he made his then seven-year-old son, Liu Hung, our main character here, Prince of Dai, D-A-I. After Emperor Gao died, and the events from last episode were unfolding, then-Grand Empress Dowager Liu offered Prince Liu Hung of Dai a promotion to a much more prosperous region. Look, the region of Dai was great, it was strategic, but it wasn't, you know, a cash grab. It wasn't exactly strapped with money, and it wasn't really great for opportunity. But seeing that his half-brother had been killed by the Grand Empress, and all the other crazy shenanigans that were going on at the royal palace, Prince Liu Hung politely declined and opted to stay up north near the border far away. And after what we heard last episode, that was a wise move. A wise, wise move. And now we are nearly caught up. After the Grand Empress Dowager finally died, and her reign of terror, or whatever you want to call it, came to a halt, those royal officials who conspired to overthrow the entire Liu clan looked around for a quick solution. Killing the emperor is one thing. Finding a suitable replacement? Well, that's a whole other thing entirely. If you overthrow the sitting emperor, you create a void. A giant, gaping hole in the ship. If you do not immediately plug it, the power vacuum that is created will quickly get so out of control and the whole ship will sink along with it. Did the Liu clan have to go? Probably, but you gotta replace it with something. Or else, getting rid of them did nothing but make things worse. So, the conspirators looked around and said, well... The new emperor has to have some connection to the royal line to make this easy, but he can't be from the Liu clan because we, like, yeah, killed them all. So it took about a minute to see Prince Liu Hung, who was of the Bo clan, so he wasn't Liu, and they essentially said, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. And in 180 BC, Prince Liu Hung became Emperor Wen of Han. 
and that is what he will be referred to from now on. Emperor Wen. W-E-N. It became apparent quickly that the government officials who had conspired to install him as emperor had made a fantastic move. Emperor Wen showed a keen interest in actually, like, governing. He was diligent, and he seemed legitimately interested in the well-being of his people. What made him clearly different from Emperor Gao, and then the Empress Liu Regencies, is that Emperor Wen, yes, had an influential wife. But his wife, Empress Dou, was a huge believer in Taoism. Now, Empress Dou had a major role in Emperor Wen's life and his policy. You know, think of her like an Abigail to his John Adams, for all my American history fans. And because she was a devout Taoist, it's not hard to understand why she was not a bloodthirsty maniac like the last empress. Instead, Emperor Wen ruled through kindness and effective non-interference, as is normal in Taoist thought. So that's a big change. You go from a bloodthirsty maniac to a deep-thinking Taoist. Was Emperor Wen a Taoist? Probably not. He was probably Confucius. But still, those positive influences were definitely a huge change for the Han Dynasty, especially after what they had just gone through. Now, just because the Qin Dynasty were gone and legalism was done, did not mean Emperor Wen inherited some relaxed kumbaya wonderland of relaxed freedom and law. It took Emperor Hui to get rid of the burning of the books and scholars' laws. Yeah, that was still going around. Yeah, that was still happening. And Emperor Wen himself relaxed even more laws in order to see to it that the people of the Han Dynasty were better off. Within his first year of ruling... Emperor Wen created a social welfare program where the government would assist those in need. Essentially, tax exemptions and whatnot were offered to widows, orphans, and older people with no kids to support them. So, that's a plus. He then also abolished the draconian law that had it so family members of criminals were also arrested. So, no more absurd collective punishment for the families. Yeah, this is turning out to be pretty awesome. Then he also went out of his way to make amends with rulers and officials across the Han Dynasty who had been hit with embargoes and other kinds of economic warfare by the Grand Empress Dowager Lu. She didn't just piss off people in the royal court, she did a lot of things to make other people around the entire dynasty mad. And this was a smart move because it was indeed time to reconsolidate the Han Dynasty's imperial authority and influence. But this time, it was going to be asserted in a positive manner. So, within the first year, through past 179 BC, Emperor Wen was slowly putting back the pieces through understanding, forgiveness, and patience. But in 178 BC, just the next year after that, something wild would happen that would make him doubt everything he was doing. Because in 178 BC, a solar eclipse occurred. 
Look, the Chinese were experts in astronomy. And they would soon understand eclipses, the stars in the sky, as well as anyone else on Earth could, if not better. But in 178 BC, the eclipse happened. And the already existing consensus in ancient China was that an eclipse meant that there was immense divine displeasure. The heavens were not happy at all. Or at least that's what Emperor Wen thought. So, knowing the heavens were not happy with his rule, he had his officials in the Han Dynasty government give him honest criticism. He truly wanted to do better, be better, and appease the heavens. And this wasn't just a show of, you know, oh, look at me, I'm so thoughtful. No, no, he took this criticism to heart because he legitimately believed that he must do whatever it takes to be a more virtuous and better ruler. And he took, yes, that criticism to heart, whatever it was, and then proceeded to place eminently capable people in government positions. Essentially, he was surrounding himself with the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest, not just the most influential or the most wealthy, no, no. He was running sort of a meritocracy here. He also went ahead and made sure to appease the heavens a little more, by attempting to lower all the mandatory taxes and manual labor. So, well, when that happened, a lot of good things came from Emperor Wen being a little worried. But Emperor Wen was also frugal, at least compared to his past emperors. He was all about balancing the books. It wasn't that he had some weird phobia of spending money. No, he just understood that the books had to be balanced for the dynasty to succeed. For example, his favorite concubine, yes, he still had concubines, wore simple clothing as a means of cost saving. She wasn't decked out in silk and it wasn't to prove a point, it was just to save money. So Emperor Wen was able to cut taxes for everybody, all while also cutting spending, so that yes, they were taking in less taxes, but the empire was still stable, in the black, and happy because he was cutting expenses even more. And it wasn't that he was gutting the entire dynasty. No, no, no. He was cutting taxes, but then also cutting any unnecessary spending. Look, silk is not cheap back then. All those nice things, all the things and all the bribes, none of that needed to happen anymore. And so the emperor made the Han dynasty really stable financially. Now, there was one official in particular that had an especially important role in terms of his influence over Emperor Wen. That official's name was Jia Yi. J-I-A-Y-I. Jia Yi was just a house of fire when it came to governmental ideas. I mean, he was a machine. And Emperor Wen was just, well, simply very impressed. Jia Yi himself was a Confucian scholar and was a big writer on such topics. He would write long works about the social, political, and ethical benefits of Confucian thought. And then he would also, in turn, write scathing criticisms of legalism and its failures. Because by now, they can step back and say, well, this didn't work, and here's why. So with that, it is no surprise that Jia Yi's opinions held sway in the already patient and forgiving and open-minded Emperor Wen. 
But the emperor did something that on the outside seems quite peculiar. He never elevated Jia Yi to a high government post. Never did. Instead, in 172 BC, Emperor Wen made this genius scholar the personal tutor of his youngest and favorite son, as well as some of his other kids. Yeah, Jia Yi would do great as a government official. But what about grooming the next generation of leaders? It seems smart now, doesn't it? But Jia Yi had one idea Emperor Wen never got around to doing, that in hindsight, which we will see soon, he really should have gone through with. Jia Yi looked around at the Han Dynasty and all of its small vassal kingdoms and said, okay, look, this has to change or else this rebellion issue that just keeps popping up and getting worse, well, it's going to keep popping up and getting worse if we don't do something about it. So he suggested to Emperor Wen that the royal court should take full control and authority of all of the large principalities and then have them ruled by different branches of the royal family. This would get people connected to the emperor in control of the entire dynasty. That's a good idea, and Emperor Wen agreed that this was in fact a good idea, and he was actually down to do it. But he dithered on it, and then dithered some more, and continued to dither on it. And well, he never got around to go through with it. Not a big deal. Nothing really happens right now. Until soon, seven whole states will join together in rebellion, something that could have been prevented. But we will cross that bridge when we get there. But now, it's 169 BC. And that favorite son of Emperor Wen that Jia Yi was teaching fell off his horse. And now this son soon died from those injuries. It is stated in the Book of Han that Jia Yi blamed himself for the accident. And he himself died one year after from the grief. Separating the true fact from embellished fiction is hard with ancient history. But the trend is clear. Emperor Wen was surrounding himself and his children and those around him with the best of the best. He had the people first in his mind, and the Han Dynasty was better off for it. Financially, morally, militarily, you name it. Would Emperor Wen solve every problem the Han Dynasty faced? No, of course not. But he would put the dynasty in a position to finally succeed even more down the line. He couldn't fix it all and make it, you know, the Han Dynasty zenith, no. But he was able to put the Han Dynasty in a position where those future heights would be able to be obtained. So, you're probably thinking, well, what did he do about the Xiongnu? He's out here bringing all of this domestic tranquility. Surely Emperor Wen sorts out the Xiongnu, right? Because look, ever since the Xiongnu beat Emperor Gao, they have been as loyal to their deal of no more raids as much as Brutus was to protecting Caesar at all costs. I.e., the Xiongnu were not loyal at all. Not even a little bit. But can you really blame the Xiongnu? At this point in time, they still had all the leverage in the world. 
They were unstoppable. Heck, they could have ended the dynasty right there at the get-go. So yeah, they kept raiding, but hey, with some restraint. You know, we're not going to go too far into the cookie jar here. And in 172, the Xiongnu got a new Chan Yu. Remember, Chan Yu is the leader of the confederation. Regardless, Emperor Wen took advantage of this and killed them all. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. The Han was actually really not at all capable to beat the Xiongnu right now in an open battle. Or at least they could beat them in a battle, but they were not capable of chasing them deep into their homeland and getting rid of them for good. No. Instead, Emperor Wen decided that he would follow the deal himself. He was, after all, a man of forgiveness and Confucian and Taoist principle. So he gave away a princess to the Xiongnu to be married off, as is part of the deal, to keep the peace. But Emperor Wen was not totally hapless when it came to the northern border. He wasn't naive. He was, after all, the old prince of a border region. He knew what this game was. So going along with his policy of sticking to the peace deal, he was still very capable of understanding the situation. The Han couldn't deal with the Xiongnu in a decisive way, yes, but they could still try and defend themselves and stand up for themselves and really draw that line in the sand. That, after all, was still fair game. So in 169 BC, Chao Tuo, a low-ranking official, had given so many good ideas about dealing with the Xiongnu that Emperor Wen said, you know what? Those are all great ideas, and I'm going to make you a member of the actual crown prince's household. And he really did it. Going to show that Emperor Wen really did back the idea of a meritocracy to some degree. So what was one of this guy's ideas? I mean, they must be awesome. Well, let's start here. Back then, there were no trains, and there were no trucks and no airplanes, obviously. And the northern regions where the border was weren't always hospitable. So Cao Tuo had the following idea. He proposed that anyone who gave food or supplies to the northern Han defense forces, well, those people would have past crimes they committed pardoned or even just be given titles. It's a genius idea, really, and it seems simple. But finally, an imperial Chinese dynasty is using the carrot as opposed to the stick to get results out of its people. The forces out there defending the border were spread thin, and food was hard to come by, supplies were hard to come by. So if you incentivize the local people and those around the region to give supplies, not by force, you're telling them, we will pardon your crimes, we can give you titles. It really incentivized a positive feedback loop to arm and keep those northern forces really capable. But the Xiongnu are still out there. And the Han, with Emperor Wen steadying the ship, were only getting stronger. And it was only a matter of time until the Han would be strong enough to go after the Xiongnu. Now, we are not done with Emperor Wen quite yet. He will last more than one episode, believe it or not. Look at that. But alas, around this time, he also banned the punishments of being given a face tattoo, which sounds awesome to all the SoundCloud rappers now, 
But regardless, he also got rid of the punishment of having one's nose or foot cut off. Yeah, those were still a thing. And now this is what I find fascinating. Ancient civilizations with not one bit of connection to each other in any way always tended to come up with virtually the same horrible punishments. Humans may live far apart in isolation and in complete ignorance that there are other people out there. But on the inside, hey, we're all the same. Your foot's going to get cut off if you steal. <laughs> all jokes aside, though, Emperor Wen replaced those punishments with whipping, which was, in his eyes, way more humane. Now, it should be noted that facial tattoos and the cutting off of noses and feet would actually never come back in China. Ever. Emperor Wen left his mark in more than one way. But between you and me, we now know that whipping actually causes more fatalities in the grand scheme of things than cutting off noses and feet. And later Han emperors would have to lower the lash counts to correct that. But hey, you gotta learn from your mistakes, right? He didn't institute whipping to kill more people. But you live and you learn. The year is now about 167 BC, and Emperor Wen is, well, he's the man. He is lowering taxes for all. He is cutting costs, balancing the books. He's slowly equipping the northern defense forces and making them self-sufficient. He is also, yeah, relaxing draconian laws. Things are really looking up for the Han Dynasty. Well, next week, Emperor Wen continues his reign, and the taxes, well, they're only going to get lower. But the Xiongnu are going to try and push the envelope to see what he is really made of. Now, before I'm done here, I just want to remark that I'm really excited for where this show's going in terms of the story, because we're getting into eras of Chinese history where the characters are becoming less myth and more real. I mean, the historians that we've been using, well, they're being born around this time. Emperor Wen is humanized in the history, and I'm excited so we can really get to know these characters beyond just a mythical sense of who they were. But regardless, remember to go check out the website at dormroomhistory.com slash thehistoryofchina, follow and rate five stars, and share with everybody you know. And thank you to all of those who have reached out via Instagram, email, and even LinkedIn. You guys are truly the best. So with that, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you all next time on the history of China. <laughs>